Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When I gather feedback on someone I'm coaching, and usually that's from a senior leader, I almost always hear something like the person needs to inspire more or engage people or bring others along or even sometimes have more executive presence. And all of those are critical skills in my view. And they're all signals that the leader's message is not having the impact that it could have. So the questions my clients often ask, in fact, the thing we spend the most time on is how. So what does it mean you should be doing and not doing? And today we're going to answer those questions. What do you need to be doing to have the impact you're looking for, to inspire more, to engage more, and to make sure your messages are hitting home? So my guest today is Joel Schwartzberg. He's a leadership communications coach whose clients include Companies like American Express, Blue Cross Blue Shield, State Farm Insurance, the Brennan Center for Justice, and believe it or not, Comedy Central. He's a senior director of strategic and executive communications for a major national nonprofit, and he's pre- previously held senior level communications and editorial positions with Time Inc., PBS, and Nickelodeon. And the part I'm excited about is his new book, The Language of Leadership. How to Engage and Inspire Your Team. You can learn more about him at his website, joelschwartzberg.net. Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Uh, I always start with why. Why do you care about communications? I mean, here you are doing, you've done communications work, but you're doing strategy and executive communications. Why the passion around this topic enough to write a book? Well, there's a personal and a professional answer to that question, and I'll keep it fairly concise because that's the job I'm in. Uh, The personal version of it is I got started in competitive public speaking when I was in sixth grade, and I continued with it all the way through being a senior in college. I was a national champion in a particular event called After Dinner Speaking when I was a senior. And after that, I thought my career in communication might have ended, as many competitive careers do at that point. But one thing I learned was as I interviewed for jobs, as I went to conferences, as I asked for promotions, basically in every vital communication avenue, I was employing those skills I learned as a competitor. And it sort of lit a fire in me, a fire of motivation and a fire of interest uh, to dig deeper into it. And since then, I've been on a 15 plus year journey, not just coaching it, but learning it. And one of the most valuable things about my experience is I have a day job doing this. I write speeches and I coach speakers every day. So not only am I coaching, but I'm learning from different types of leaders, uh, of different experience levels. And it just really energizes me. And I love to learn new things and to write about them, whether it's in my books or I write for Harvard Business Review or Fast Company or magazines like that. So that's the personal side of it. On the professional side, uh, one thing that happened when I started coaching public speakers was 
I would train them to be, you know, what you would get if you Googled good public speaking skills. They uh, were loud, they gestured well, they stood in place, they spoke with conviction. But when I asked them what their point was, what I would get was not a point. I would get topics and themes and categories and catchphrases. And so I wrote this book in 2017 called Get to the Point to teach people how to make a point. And one of the reasons I wrote the language of leadership this year was because you can't throw a rock in a bookstore without hitting a book on what a good leader is or should be. Uh, They should be empathic. They should have vision. They should care. Uh, That's how leaders should be. And we're well versed in that in a number of ways. But consider this. How do we know that? How do we know that a leader is empathic? How do we know that they have conviction Mm -hmm. and vision and empathy through communication? You know, they're not uh, projecting those qualities through telepathy or dance (laughs) or miming. Uh, They are communicating. So this book is all about, and I'm glad you mentioned it's all about the how, not just the what and the why. What specific measures that leaders, and let's use that broadly, anyone who has the ability to or even interest in becoming a leader uh, can use leadership skills. If you run a meeting, you're a leader. If you own a project, you're a leader. So we're not just talking about CEOs here but how they can use mindsets and techniques and tactics to do the two things that I think are most important with their teams, engage and inspire. And I really like to boil it down because we have a lot of words out there, a lot of goals, a lot of objectives. So I like to break it down into me, job one and job two, engage and inspire. Okay, you left a lot of threads in that (laughs) bit that I am dying to go back to. So let me pick up on three, two easy ones, and then the meat of what we want to talk about. So I'm going to leave Inspire Engage on the table for a moment. Um, One is to make a comment. I believe, regardless of the business or the industry, that everything that's interesting that happens in a company happens in a conversation. So I'm with you that we cannot do business in any form without communication. I, I, I can't find a place where that exists. And right. just it thinking just about happen. that is really, is really incredible. And most of that is conversation, meaning one to a few, not big giant speeches, but granted speeches are also part of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the other thread that you intrigued me with is that you've been doing competitive public speaking since you were in sixth grade. So 12 right. years old, for those who are not in the U.S. system, <laughs> after dinner speaking. Okay. You have got to give me just like, how, what does it take to win in the after dinner speaking market? I can't resist. Sure. So we're familiar in America and and other uh, countries as well with this idea in sports that you go to sports, then you go to a national championship. Maybe you're in a semifinals or an octafinals. Um, And we understand that with football and baseball and chess even. Uh, What's lesser known is that the same thing exists for public speakers, particularly in high school and college. It's called Forensics, although forensics also means cutting up dead bodies, it also means uh, speech and debate. So there are many events that you can do in forensics, and I was lucky to try them all. And the event that I was most successful in is called After Dinner Speaking. That's a 10-minute memorized serious speech with a serious point, uh, but conveyed with humor. So I have to get aha moments, and I have to get haha moments. <laughs> and uh, truthfully, At that point, when I was a senior in college, I did it for 11 years, all kinds of forensics. So I'd learned ways to overcome 
of my fear, my intimidation about public speaking. I learned what judges look for. And I mentioned that because that was my audience. So a leader's audience uh, are their teams and their employees. When I was competing, my audience was really judges. And in either case, you need to know what they want and need to hear. So I figured that out. Uh, and then the, the only other part is I had fun with it. I really had fun giving this particular speech because it was funny uh, and it was interesting. And hopefully I was enlightening people and I had a lot of success that way. So aha and haha moments. That's how you win. Okay. All right. I, there's a whole other conversation <laughs> that's going to happen around this one. I'll leave that for another day. Let's come back to the core topic, which is about engage and inspire. And boy, if leaders, and I and agree, at all levels, even if you're just the junior person and you're trying to persuade people to do a particular thing, you are leading. Right. Engage and inspire. The more we do of that, the better off we are. And if people are saying to you, you need to bring everybody along, engage and inspire. All right. So can I just throw the question out? How do we sure. engage and how do we inspire? Let's, let's start with one idea uh, that I find comes up very often. And that is this, when a leader decides to make a communication, and that means a speech in front of 100 people, a one-on-one conversation, a tweet, a post, a video, uh, uh, opening a meeting, a Zoom call, there are lots of platforms here, right? And they each have their own rules. But this is one rule that covers all of those platforms, and it's this. There's a wrong question and a right question. Uh, The wrong question is, from a leader, what do I want to say? Uh, What do I need to say? What should I write down on this page to say to my team? This is the wrong question because that's just about words. Uh, You're putting words together that are in your brain, but you're not taking into account what is the job here. The job here is not just to put words out into the ether, Uh, as if you were talking to the wall or your pets. Uh, The job is to make sure your team receives that in such a way that they're engaged and inspired. Remember, we're talking about engaging and inspire an audience, not being a perfect speaker. You can only engage and inspire if you understand what your audience wants and need. So if the wrong question is, what do I want to say today? Or what should I say today? The right question is, what does my audience want and need to hear? And that creates a lot of opportunity. For one uh, reason, you are customizing your communication for that audience. And let's break that down. Uh, Your team, your audience, your employees, what they want to hear is something they're aware of, but they need to hear it from you in order to be inspired. Uh, Thanks and appreciation, for example. That's something they want to hear and they know they want to hear. But in terms of what they need to hear, they may not know that. But the leader still needs to understand uh, that is something that has impact on them. So it just boils down to this one question to start, not what I need or want to say, but what my audience needs and wants to hear. Because if you're moving your people, if if you're part of a team, uh, that team needs to work together. You need to inspire those people. So you need to understand not just what you're saying, but the impact of those words and communications on your team. Okay. Okay. All right. How do I know what my audience wants to hear 
And even more difficult, how do I know what my audience needs to hear, given that I can't go ask them because they don't necessarily know either? Right. It comes down to impact on the second question. What do they need to hear? Uh, What will affect their lives? What will make their lives easier? What will make their mission clearer? Uh, What will make their goal more actionable? And notice I'm saying they're there, there, because I'm still focusing on what they need. But a leader, and most leaders shouldn't do this alone. Usually they have an executive leadership team. Uh, they can do surveys. I know a lot of CEOs have things like breakfast with the CEO where they're gathering yeah. this information. Mm-hmm. You may have an internal communications team. There are, there are a lot of avenues where you can get feedback or deeper understanding into what they need. Then it becomes your job, and maybe in collaboration with those groups, to say something that's valuable to them, not just valuable to you. Uh, On the point of things that they want to hear, uh, these are things you can definitely capture uh, through surveys, through meetings, even through your executive leadership team, what they uh, perceive on their own and what kind of floats up to them. So, yeah, there is some intelligence gathering uh, involved in here because the leader also wants to be authentic. They don't want to be thinking of something that is irrelevant uh, to their audience because then you lose engagement. So do that due diligence. Find out what they want and need to hear. Maybe uh, review those ideas with your executive leadership team, particularly your people in charge of HR, or sometimes they're called people teams, uh, to check those concepts. And then just make sure you're in the mode of communicating with them in mind not just with you in mind. And sometimes we can see this in the use of the words I uh, or we. Mm -hmm. A leader who communicates with I is not really positioning themselves among the team. They are positioning themselves above the team. Here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I'd like to see. Uh, It's as if they are only interested in checking a box for their own goal. This is what I want to do. Maybe they want to show something to the board of directors or whoever their boss is. But when you say we, uh, you're putting yourself with the team, it's inclusive, and you're identifying a commonality of purpose, which again engages and inspires people. What's more inspiring than we're all in this together? So look for those keywords. If you write out your ideas and if you write a speech, although I generally recommend never to write out a speech word for word, which is something we can talk about. But whatever notes you're using or concepts that are in your head, think we, we're all in this together, not I, I have ideas that I want to share and only I can solve this problem. Right. I often think that, um, especially when I move away from the CEO and I move into the middle of the organization, that Mm -hmm. there's room for both I and we language. There are times when I say, for example, I have a target to hit. It is my target. I hope and here's what we are going to do together in order to achieve that target. So there, there is room for both. And it's, you know, it's important to say what is my I and what is we. Right. And I'll often say I is useful in some cases. And I say this in my book, particularly particularly if the leader wants to make a personal commitment. Uh, I believe this is the best way to make sure that our fourth quarter is successful. Let's talk about how we can do this together. Uh, I have uh, a strong belief in this 
or when I was coming up through the ranks, like in storytelling, uh, I learned this. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, what I want to make sure is leaders are saying, who solves this problem? Who is integral right. to overcoming this obstacle? Uh, that's a we, and that needs to be explicitly referenced. Sometimes these great ideas are in a leader's mind, but they don't say them. Mm-hmm. So that's like a tree falling in the forest. If you don't right. actually say it, you're not explicit about it, it doesn't count. Right, right. Okay, let me turn the tables on this a little bit um, because not everybody listening is a CEO, sadly. Sure. I wish it were the case for everybody out there. Sometimes it's not about communicating down. It's about communicating up. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that the engage and inspire is just as important in communicating up in selling an idea in being persuasive in selling yourself even for that matter. Do the same rules apply that I need to know what my seniors are wanting and needing to hear from me? Is the same true? I believe so. I think that's definitely integral to know who your audience is, whether you're going down or going up. Um, when you're speaking to a manager uh, or a boss, uh, it's important that you want to inspire their trust in you. Uh, and it's important to think, well, what are my goals like that? Well, I want to inspire their trust in me. I want to make them look good. You know, let's just say that. Obviously, that works out. Uh, that's a win-win for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I want them to rely on me. So see what I'm doing? I'm identifying my communication goals, not in terms of what I want to say, uh, but again, in terms of the impact that it's going to have on them, my boss, so that I know what I need to do. Now, Wanda, I want to uh, bring up one thing that's really bread and butter here, and maybe we were going to get to it, but it's so critical, uh, whether you're talking up or talking down, managing up or managing down, speaking to one or speaking to 100, and that is the critical concept of having a point, which yeah, we sort that, of hinted yeah. at earlier. Yep, yep. And, that was my next question. I was going okay. there. Good, good lead, Okay. So there is some telepathy involved. Uh uh (laughs) Right. And it's especially critical when you're talking to a manager because you want them to receive your point. So here's the thing, Wanda. What I see a lot of people, uh, no matter where they are in an organization or in their lives, confusing the concept of a point with other things, particularly topics and themes. So let's take some examples. Uh, If I asked a podcaster for the point of a speech they were going to give at a conference, or a conversation they were going to have. And they said, successful podcasting. What have they not told me? Uh, they have not told me what makes a podcast successful, who, what audience they're trying to reach, what is the goal or bottom line uh, I'm trying to effect through this podcast, and what are some ways to make sure podcasts are successful and shared. None of that is conveyed. Just this idea of the importance of podcasting. Uh, So podcasting, the importance of podcasting, the evolution of podcasting, you're not making a point because a point is a proposition of value. It's saying, if we do X right, we will get to Y. It's sort of putting yourself out there as well, because it is a proposal. It is a suggestion. It is a recommendation. What thing of value am I trying to convey to you or what principle? Sometimes I use an example of my son who years ago wrote a paper on the American Revolution. And let's say I asked him what his point was. And he said, the American Revolution. And I said, well, uh, what is it about the American Revolution that you're trying to argue or convey? All right, Dad, 
the importance of the American Revolution. Well, video games are important to my son, and the American Revolution is as well. So this word important could mean a lot of things, and we may not even necessarily share that definition. So he doesn't get to a point until he says the American Revolution, let's say, brought about the democracy that we uh, utilize today. Or with podcasting, uh, I believe that podcasting is the best way to reach our critical millennial audience. Uh, now, these are points but Wanda, I wanted something in my, in my uh, talks with clients and students. I wanted an exercise, a really easy exercise that can have people understand, hey, what's, do I have a point or do I not have a point? Uh, put it in one end of the exercise, you get a green light or a red light. And this is it. And I found it very useful over the years. And I talk, I talk it up all the time because even a child could use it or a student. It's called the I Believe That Test. Mm-hmm. The I believe that test goes like this. You take your point, whether it's to a colleague or a group of people or to a vendor or to a partner or to your mother-in-law, wherever you're making an important point, one sentence, uh, sometimes we call this an elevator pitch, if you will. And you put the words, I believe that in front of it. Now, here's the test. If what you have next is a complete sentence, uh, not a fragment, not a run-on, it would impress your uh, fourth grade language arts teacher or your grammar school teacher, uh, then you are on your way to making a point. Then we could talk about sharpening it. We could talk about championing it. But if it is not a complete sentence, uh, then you need to reimagine it. So for example, I believe that podcasting, not a sentence. I believe that leadership, not a sentence. Even I believe that the importance of leadership I believe that the evolution of leadership, I believe that the techniques of leadership, none of these are complete sentence. None of them are points because you're not actually making the proposal of value and impact explicitly within those words. So that test helps you. And, you know, I, I talk about this to high school students when they're writing papers. My wife is a, um, a school teacher. She calls it the so what. Uh, you've put something out there, podcasting. So what? What are you trying to say about it? So using the I believe that test, we get to a place where we can say, I believe that successful leadership relies on uh, active listening. Let's say that's one point. That is a complete sentence and you're on your way to making a point. And you can tell because when you hear that, I believe that leadership relies on active listening. It makes you sort of go, go on. Uh, Yes, I'm captivated. I want to hear more about that. And that's the value of a point. And the bottom line is if you do not have a real point, you are rendered pointless. Ha ha ha. I love that one. If you don't have a point, you're rendered pointless. Now, if you're listening, if anybody's listening to this one, I'm going to imagine you're thinking, oh, this is really simple. I get it. What's the problem? But I have to tell you, I can't tell you how many executives I have worked with and I can spend hours getting them off the theme or the goal and mm-hmm. finally getting to that statement of, I believe that something will result in something else. You know, the X leads to Y. It is like a pulling teeth on occasion to get them to that place. Right. Why, why do we struggle with this so much? It seems straightforward. One of the problems is leaders and aspiring leaders don't understand the difference between information and inspiration. Mm. Uh, You know, it's only the leader's job. And again, we're talking about uh, lowercase l and big case l. Uh, If you own something, you're a leader. Uh, 
only the leader, it's only the leader's job to inspire. Uh, it's not the leader's job necessarily to inform. That could be a subject matter expert. That could be someone else in the organization. That could be your data people or your people team. Um, so a lot of leaders, they give information. This is what I mean by inform. Mm-hmm. They say, all right, well, here's the history of the issue. Here's many people, how many people we're putting on it. Here's how much we're investing in it. Uh, here's the data behind it. Thank you very much. They put out information, but they've never made a point and only points inspire. This is why it's relevant to you. This is why we're doing it. This is our purpose. And this is the goal and the vision I have that we're going to reach if we do this well. None of those things are part of the history, how many, and the data. That stuff only supports it. So when I look at speeches and I speak to leaders, I say, make sure you're inspiring, not just giving information. One of the ways to look at this, a good metaphor is a book. In a book, you have a table of contents and you have the blurbs. The table of contents shares the inventory. The blurb sells the book. Leaders want to be the blurber, not the person who's just conveying the inventory. Okay. I want to be the blurb, not the table of contents. Hmm? Right. Okay, now I find that particularly relevant to the purpose of this podcast, this notion of getting out of the comfort zone and the move from being an expert leader into being something I call a spanning leader, because you've been trained for way too long to be the one with the information and to walk into the room and convey that information. That's what gives you confidence. That's what gives you an invitation to come back to the room. And so there's this long training of the informant if you will. Right. As if the information itself inspires and information does not inspire. Information may educate. It may even entertain, uh, but it does not inspire until the leader says, here is how this information is going to take us uh, to the next level. Uh, Here's how this story I just told, or this data that we've just reviewed here here's how it's going to make a difference in your workday and how it's going to create new opportunity for us in the future. It's an over-reliance on information because we consume information uh, all the time. So we think that information itself somehow inherently inspires and we need to remove ourselves from that mindset. I think that's why when you move out of the expert leader role into the spanning role, then you have to learn different pattern of communication because you can't continue to rely on that content knowledge. You've got to do something else. And by the way, I see this in people pitching to clients all the time that they don't inspire clients to build that kind of trusted advisor because they go in and say, let me tell you all the information I now know about you that, ah, ha, ha, I don't think you knew about yourself. A, it's offensive, and B, it isn't inspirational. It certainly doesn't engender trust. For sure. Let me tell you about me. Now, let me tell you about you. I mean, the worst mistake is someone going in, and and this is classic, uh, I'm going to basically say everything that's in the brochure in front of you. Here's all the reasons I'm great. Uh, It's not customized, and it's not taking into account what is that client's obstacle? What is that challenge? Why did they bring you in? And how are you going to overcome, not just address, by the way, this comes down to words. This is why it's called the language of leadership. Not just address or explore that issue, but how are we going to help the client overcome that issue and solve that problem? Uh, That's the goal of that collaboration. 
great. And in fairness, I certainly hear a number of senior leaders in sales functions say that their frustration is they go to a meeting and they don't listen to what the client's problem is. That The first thing you need to do is suspend the pitch in some ways and go to what is the problem. But we're right back to where you started, which is I need to know what my audience wants slash needs to know. Not what right. I want to tell you, what I want you to know, but what does my audience want and need to know? Okay, Joel, I'm going to do something rare in this podcast. We're going to take a break right on time at exactly the halfway point <laughs> because this is a perfect stopping point. My guest today is Joel Schwartzberg. The book that we're talking about is The Language of Leadership, How to Engage and Inspire Your Team. I love that Joel says, only the leader can inspire And I would argue that if you want to bring people along, you want people engaged, you want a motivated team around you, find a way to inspire. And inspire is about making a proposition. If if we do X, we will get to Y. It is putting myself out as a leader saying, I believe that X will result in something good that we all want to do. And that's inspiration. So with that... Thank you, Joel. We'll be right back to talk more about this Engage, Inspire, and getting to the point. We'll be right back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program 
at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Joel Schwartzberg. He's a leadership communications coach, which I would argue is a passion for communicating effectively and whom I've learned has spent multiple years of his youth all the way through um, competing for after-dinner speaking awards and winning, I might add, as well as some other communication strategies. He now is the Senior Director for Strategic and Executive Communications for a major national nonprofit, and he's held all sorts of communications positions in various organizations. The book we're talking about is The Language of Leadership, How to Engage and Inspire Your Team. I want to just say what I said at the end there again. The job of the leader, the job that only the leader can do, leader at any level, as Joel would say, when you own something, you are a leader of that thing, even if you have no direct reports. Only the leader can inspire. Anybody, anything can inform, but the leader can inspire. And so if your communication is informing, it's not inspiring. Inspiration comes from when you make a proposition that says, I believe that if we do more of this, we will get more of that, or your lives will be better or something. And it is always tailored to what the audience wants and needs to know, which means we have to do a whole bunch of homework. Now, we've talked about the point. You have a point when you are making a proposition, something of value to the listeners. And you know you have a point because you do the I believe test, meaning you take your point, put the words I believe that in front of it, finish your point, and it needs to be a complete sentence. If it's not, you don't have a point. But Joel, I could say I believe that podcasting is important, and that is a complete sentence, it's just not right. a very interesting sentence. Right. So how do we get to the place where we sharpen this and we actually sell it? There are two perils or two things people need to keep in mind when they make their point or they do that I believe that test. One is to avoid truisms. These are things that are true on their face. I believe that if we work hard, we'll get to our goal. I believe that ice cream is sweet. I believe people shouldn't lie. Uh, I believe that uh, we need to collaborate things that are true in their face. And you could tell it's a truism when you really don't need to give a presentation about it. You could just say the words and they'll be obvious. Now, other ways to find out if you are using a truism is ask yourself, uh, is there a reasonable counterpoint? Can someone argue the opposite? If they can, then it's not a truism. Or do people not understand what I'm talking about? Do I need to elevate their understanding of this issue? They're not aware of what I'm talking about. That also means you're not uh, conveying a truism and you're well on your way. But sometimes the biggest problem to people's points or the ways they sabotage their points in many ways is by the use of what I call badjectives. Now, badjectives are adjectives that are so broad that they are virtually meaningless. These are words like great, very good, awesome, even important, which is something that you said and we talked about earlier. What does important really mean? You're saying it's slightly uh, more important than something that's not important? (laughs) You're not giving me uh, a true sense, an explicit sense, certainly not a customized sense of the value of the point you're making. So how do we avoid these adjectives? Avoid saying, well, this approach is going to work for us because it's great. 
or this uh, this new idea is fantastic. Uh, you ask why. Why is it great? Why is this approach fantastic? Well, this approach is great because it will make us more efficient, and then we can use that money to put to put into R and D, which can guarantee our future. Aha. Yeah. So this approach is great because it makes us more efficient and we can use that money wisely. Now we don't even need the adjective anymore. We went from this idea is great because it makes us more efficient. Why bother with that extra word? You know, less is more. We understand that. So pull out that adjective and just said this approach will make us more efficient. And you found that impact by asking why. Why is it great? Why is it important? Why is it fantastic? Articulating it and then conveying that specifically. The final tip about this, which I see as a problem, is people try to cram too many ideas Mm -hmm. into a single point because they think it's like a Christmas tree. The more ornaments I put on it, the more it will glow and the more valuable it'll be. And hey, uh, you know, if I tell you eight reasons why this is a good idea, surely that's better than two. Uh, But that is not true. This is what happens when people receive a lot of ideas. For example, if a leader or an emerging leader says, well, this idea will make us more powerful and effective and efficient and meaningful and memorable and super and uh, easier to use and more actionable. You can already tell that's too many ideas. We already know that's wrong. But what I want to suggest is it's not just going from seven ideas to three, but three ideas to one. So this is what happens when an audience receives ideas. They're hearing them for the first time versus you, the speaker. You've thought about it. You wrote it down. You know it through and through. Maybe you've said it a few times. The audience, they need to hear it. They need to make sense of it, attach relevance to it. Uh, Does this have meaning in my workplace? Should I write this down? Should I tweet this? All this is going through their heads. Meanwhile, you, the presenter, you're six sentences down the road, which they're not even listening to. So the bottom line rule is recognize uh, that your audience needs it simply. They need one idea at a time, and they also need it slowly. They need time to process it. In fact, I like to say that your audience needs twice as much time to process what you're saying as you need to say it. So if you follow these rules, try not to complicate your point with too many ideas because you know they'll just complicate the reception and the digestion of those ideas because they'll fight each other for attention. So not too many ideas. Avoid the uh, adjectives by asking why and keeping it simple overall. And that that is the best way to make sure that your point is not only a real point, but it has the impact that you're imagining and hoping for. So this is um, rel- highly relevant to me because I'm going to talk <laughs> about um, a personal journey that I have done over the course. So I started out as an academic. You know, academics like to complexify everything. That's how mm-hmm. we make our living. We add more and more complexity to it, you know, layers and models and et cetera. And, the idea when I was an academic that a two by two would be an effective explanation of any behavior was absurd. Today, I have learned quite the opposite, that two by twos are effective because people can remember them. Mm-hmm. They can hang on to them. They can get there. And if I take note that if you read about any of the major transformations like IBM, for example, back in the day, or any major company transformation, the CEO boiled it down to one very simple idea that people could hear, remember, had significance, and keep saying over and over and over and over again. So I'm right back with you, one idea. 
Right. But we're trained to do the opposite in our schooling. Right. We think, uh, right. We learn all these adjectives in school. (laughs) Uh, We learn to write, you know, three paragraph essays. Uh, Here's what I often say, Wanda. I often say that if you say many ideas, they will remember none. Mm -hmm. If you say some, they will remember some. If you say one, they will remember all. Uh, Mm -hmm. So stick to one idea. Now, you may have several ideas you need to convey, but hit them one at a time. Uh, Put pauses between them. uh, Maybe take some questions between them. Hit each with a hard period pause and introduce the next idea anew. Uh, What you don't want to consider them is uh, a bunch of clowns coming out of a clown car. That you could squeeze, the more you squeeze in, uh, the more points you get. You know, sometimes I see presentations where speakers realize their time is running out. Uh, they have more slides than time. So they think, aha, well, I guess I need to go faster. Well, that's the wrong idea because then your audience will understand none of what you're saying. It's not a contest uh, to see how many ideas you can get out there. It's an opportunity to have your audience leave with one or two ideas. And let's be honest, how many ideas is your audience if they're not taking copious notes? How many ideas are they really going to leave with? One, two, maybe three. And by three, I mean two. Uh, So it's your job to know what those ideas are, what ideas I most want them to leave with, and then work backwards to make sure you're hitting those ideas hard, presenting them as points, so you achieve that goal of them taking away those two big ideas. For people who find that they have to go and present to a senior leadership team or to a board, inevitably, I guarantee you that whatever time you are allotted is going to be cut in half, if not a cut in a tenth. That's just the nature of how it always happens. And you have to go in prepared to, I'm going to take my 30-minute presentation and I'm going to now have to give it in less than five because you're not prepared, you're not going to be there. And the same thing that you're talking about here is incredibly relevant for those presentations. So if you know what your point is and you walk in the room and you can say, look, I have one point to make. Let me make my point. It is blah, 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 that if we do this, I believe that. Rather, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you've left your impression. They'll ask questions. You can fill in with whatever examples you want to fill in. But you've just moved from 30 minutes to five minutes effectively. Now, you can tell right. me I'm wrong about that. No, and nobody has ever complained in the history of presentations of a speech running too short. Short. Uh, <laughs> most people want it shorter. And look what happened, Wanda, when you said the words, I have one point to make. My brain suddenly focused in on you. I sometimes call these attention magnets saying, here is one idea. Or if we can't end this meeting without uh, solving this problem. Or if there's one thing I want you to know It's this. Uh, There are phrases we use that magnetically, I like to say, galvanize our attention. And people are naturally more responsive to one idea, even than they are to two ideas. Boy, but most people feel that I have to prove that I earned my salary. So let me show you all the hard work that I've done. And what you're advocating is that's not engaging or inspirational, up or down. And that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, which is, Uh, Let me think of how much I can say and not thinking about, let me think about how much they can and should receive. That top number will always be uh, much, much more than the bottom number. And by the way, when you boil it down to one, two, or three 
key ideas, guess what? You're making your job a lot easier also uh, just setting yourself up for success. Right. And then you can do that Q&A that everybody loves to do. All right. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about how to sharpen the point. And you've said we want to drop the truisms because those are not worthy of the, you know, time we're spending. So you want to ask, is there a counterpoint or is there something the audience doesn't understand about this? That we want to avoid the badgetives. I love that. Like grand, awesome, important. And we ask, why is it great? Or why is this approach fantastic? And then drop the word and move on to the point. And that we want one idea, not a Christmas tree arrangement, one idea. Okay, so let's say I've refined that. Is there anything about selling that idea? Is there anything that I do that makes people enthusiastic, excited, engaged? Like, what happens? I would say, right. Um, I, you know, there's a friend of mine named Allison Shapira, and she also writes about, she works at Harvard, and she also writes about public speaking Uh, She's often said that there are three things she believes contribute to inspiration, authenticity, logic, and empathy. Now, let's go ahead and grant logic. Let's say you're making a logical uh, approach, and we know how to convey something logically. You're you're making a reasonable assumption or you're throwing data behind it. Let's talk for a minute about authenticity and empathy. So authenticity is critical, and some of the tips I recommend it, uh, include not writing a script. It hurts me a little bit as a speechwriter to say this, but uh, people won't remember the words you say. They'll remember the point you came to make or what you meant. So to make sure you're authentic, try not to be reading to your team, even though you think, well, that might make me less anxious because I know reading is easier. If I'm off script, that makes me very nervous. Uh, but people don't want to be read to. Otherwise, they could receive an email from you. Reading creates a separation between you and your audience. And by the way, it's really hard to read and emote at the same time. Maybe some (laughs) Academy Award-winning actors and actresses can do it. Uh, But most leaders and most people, it cuts their emotion and their passion for what they're saying by having their brain focusing on reading it. So skip the script. Say what you believe. Always sound like you, even if you have speech writers. Someone says, oh, you know what? You should tell this joke or oh, say it like this. That alliteration is great. Well, if something comes out of your mouth that is not authentic, chances are your audience will pick up on it. Mm-hmm. And if they perceive you are not being authentic, that's so close to not being true that it really hurts your credibility and your reputation. Uh, recognize always that the point is not perfectionism. Your goal, no matter where you are in the hierarchy, is not to give a great speech. It's not even to be remembered as having given a great presentation. What does that serve other than getting you more public speaking gigs? Uh, The goal, and this makes people less nervous also, the goal is not to make sure people think you are a genius public speaker or that your teeth are exceptionally white or you wore the right uh, T-shirt that day. It's something more blue collar than that. You're moving a point from here to there, from your brain uh, to your audience. So these are ways that contribute to authenticity. Now, hope is the other thing that helps inspire people. And hope is when you establish a clear goal that we're trying to reach. So a good metaphor for this is pretend you're on a boat with your team and it's taking on a lot of water. Uh, Do they want the captain to be describing the water, how high it's rising? Uh, how much the boat is sinking. That's all information, maybe even relevant information. Uh, But what they really want from the captain, and by that I mean the leader, 
is to tell us how are we going to get to dry land and what do we need to do to save our lives. Uh, that is about having a vision and that is about having hope. And I want to give your audience, Wanda, one uh, good tip here, and that is to use hope as a noun and not a verb. Uh, when you use hope as a verb, you're saying, well, I hope we get there. Uh, I hope the weather changes. I cross our fingers. And we're, you know, I'm with you. I hope this, uh, we get out of this uh, situation. Uh, it is not putting you in the driver's seat of helping the team solve that problem. But when you use hope as a noun, this is my hope. This meeting gives me hope. This data gives me a lot of hope that in the next quarter, we're going to double our revenue and see how that's creating a vision. It's creating hope. Uh, you're saying, here is a hope I have based on this evidence. And that's very inspiring. When your leader demonstrates hope as a noun, uh, not just shares hope as a verb like you do, I hope, uh, then that gets into that realm of inspiration. Okay, so a proposition if we do more of this, then we will get to some place that's good for you, good for the company, good for whatever. And it needs to be the audience's perspective, not good for me as the leader or the speaker. Right. And the expression of hope. I have hope that right. this and will now, lead to good things. This will drive our result. This will make our efficiency, whatever right. else. Or this gives me hope that or we this can gives me hope. reach this goal. Right. 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 Which is often, you know… In many ways, we get hung up, I think, sometimes about what a vision is. Mm -hmm. And we get hung up on this big grand strategy. And I think most of the times what we do is set a goal out there and forget what the strategy is of getting from here to that goal. But what you're articulating is I have a proposition that more of X is going to lead to Y. And I have hope that that will get us where we want to be. I mean, that's your vision. You You have a mechanism and you have an impact. Okay. A mechanism and an impact. Okay. You're making me think hard about a talk I have to give tomorrow. I think I'm going to go back and rewrite the entire thing. Okay, perfect. I like to think I make things simpler for you. (laughs) You know, when you realize you don't want to give too much, when you're not giving information, when it's not about everything you can say, but what my audience needs uh, needs to hear and needs to know, then your job creating a presentation becomes much simpler, becomes much shorter, it becomes much clearer and more concise. That's right. Yes, my problem is I needed to distill it down to one point, not 15, which I think is Correct. what I have going. I think that's a normal <laughs> habit out here as well. Okay, so we've talked about authenticity. We've talked about how to sharpen the point. We've talked about hope. Let's talk about praise. Sure. Why is that important? So if there's one thing, uh, that teams and employees want to hear from their leadership, it's appreciation. Um, that's not just because it makes them feel good. It also inspires them. It resonates with them. It makes them want to uh, do more. Think of the praise you received in your entire life, even as children. Uh, what did that praise do for your motivation? But here's the thing. The two words, thank you, or the one word, thanks, has limited if any, impact. And we think as praise sometimes as checking a box. Oh, thanks, Wanda. I appreciate that. Uh, I want to give my thanks to Wanda, who did a great job today. Uh, This won't carry very far because there's no meat to it. 
I, again, I could be thanking my mailman for delivering my mail by saying, thank you, Harold. And then I could be thanking Wanda. Thank you, Wanda. I need to show what you did uh, that earned that appreciation. And that's all about the why. That takes a little work. So when the minute you're going to write, thank you, Wanda, what did what Wanda uh, achieved, how did that affect our ability to reach our goals? How did that change the nature of our work? How did it introduce a new norm that we're going to be able to profit uh, or succeed from? Try to answer those questions. So you can ultimately say, I want to thank Wanda, who contributed a great uh, idea to our process that I think will make us more efficient. And that'll give us more resources to actually extend our goals for the next quarter. Uh, See, it's specific. It's saying what you did in detail, but also the impact of your contribution on the future. And one more benefit of that, that not just uh, exercises and motivates you, Wanda, but if you do it publicly, which you always should, then that increases your impression as the kind of leader who cares and pays attention to what their team and employees are doing. And that makes you, the person who is not complimented in that moment, maybe want to work harder or want to get the same kind of praise because you realize your leader is paying attention. Right. And what we all want from our leaders is to know our leaders noticed and cared. And one simple change will completely drive that equation, and that is to change how you praise and appreciate people. So you said to be specific, what did the person do? And then to say, what's the impact of what they did on our future, on our goals, on our ability to execute, on our ability to work, whatever it is, the same kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're right. That leaves the impression with everybody else that A, you notice, and B, you care. Thanks never does it. Very little. Smiley face. (laughs) Right. Think of giving a wedding toast. I congratulate these two people. Uh, did you really do the job of expressing why they're such a good match or why people should be happy for them? So you can see it, it goes across many, many occasions, whether you're a leader or not. Put the, put the brain work into saying why they deserve that praise. Okay. All right. I know now, Joel, why people hire you to give them, well, why you did talks and one on talks and why they hire you to come and talk to them about how to do communication effectively and why your organization better be happy to keep you. So my three words, if you want to bring people along, you want people motivated, engaged, inspired, Mm -hmm. you need to think about praise and give it acknowledgement for specifics and how. You need to think about how you express the hope that you have as a noun, not as a verb. And you need to stop informing and start giving a proposition. I believe that something. Those are the three that lead to inspiration and engagement. Well said, Wanda. You were paying attention. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, what we didn't get to talk about, by the way, is how to tell a story. And for that one, I recommend that you go to Joel's book. And we also didn't get to talk about how to write an effective email or how to do virtual communication. So, Joel, clearly I have to have you come back for that one. The book, if you're interested, is The Language of Leadership, How to Engage and Inspire Your Team. Joel's website is joelschwartzberg.net if you want to know more. And thanks for joining us today for this episode. If you like what you've heard, please rate us highly on your favorite podcast player. And join us, check out our subscription service at out of the comfort zone. 
thecomfortzone.com. And we'll see you next week for more wisdom in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.